Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I might have shared this story with you before, but I had the great privilege many years ago now of meeting Father Godfrey Diekman. Godfrey was a monk of St. John's Abbey in Collegeville, Minnesota. And when I met him, he was about 92. We met through a mutual friend. Godfrey had been a leader in the liturgical movement in the 20th century. He had been uh, a player at Vatican II, uh, was at least, you know, instrumental in writing some of the documents. He was just a great man of, of the church. Anyway, after conversing with him for several hours, he was 92, but he was very lively. He was in a wheelchair, I remember, but, you know, a lot of energy. I finally kind of worked up the courage to ask him. I said, Godfrey, if you were young again and you could mount the barricades, what would you fight for in the church? And without hesitation, he had a, a cane in his hand. He was sort of waving it around, and he brought it down on my knee, and he said, deification. Now, it wasn't the answer I was really expecting, but Godfrey was a scholar of the church fathers, especially the Eastern fathers. These great figures took it as axiomatic that the Christian life is about something far more than mere moral rectitude. Do you know what I'm saying? More than just being an upright person, being an ethically correct person. Rather, it was about what they called, in the East anyway, theosis. Theosis means deification. It means becoming God. When this gets translated into the West, we find the Latin term deificatio, deification. There's an adage now, I'll I'll give the Latin version, but all the church fathers, many of them used it. Deus fit homo, ut homo firet Deus. That means God became human, that we humans might become God. It's kind of shocking, I think, to our ears today. It doesn't mean we turn into God, we stop being creatures. It means God became one of us, that he might elevate our human nature and make it a sharer in his own divine nature. Christ came, and this is what Godfrey Diekman see, was, was trying to recover, and I think he was right that we've lost sight of this, and I'll say more about that in a second. But Christ came not just to make us nice people, to make us morally upright folks, or Flannery O'Connor said to be people with hearts of gold. Rather, he came to give us a share in his own life, to become, I'll shift the metaphor a little bit, citizens of heaven, or maybe better, denizens of heaven, meaning people capable of living in that heightened, rarefied atmosphere. Think of an astronaut going up into outer space and needs a special equipment in order to live in that, in that area. He can't go up simply on his own. He wouldn't be able to breathe in that heightened place. 
So in a similar way, the life of heaven becomes possible for us only through this transformation, this deification. Now, what gave the first Christians this uh, conviction? You know, here, think of how different Christianity is than something like Confucianism. And I, I don't mean to be bad-mouthing in any way Confucianism, but the Confucian system is, a, is an ethical system. It's about correct behavior. But why isn't Christianity like that? Well, the answer is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the great anticipation of the resurrection, which we call the transfiguration. And that's our feast, of course, for today. The resurrection is anticipated in this great event of the transfiguration. And that gives us a hint regarding this unique, deifying quality of Christianity. So let's think about the transfiguration for a bit. How thoroughly, first of all, this event impressed itself on the minds of the first followers of Jesus. I mean, just see it in the New Testament. He goes up the mountain, this apparently ordinary man from Nazareth, this brother of theirs, this fellow Israelite. And then, I'll quote now from the Gospel passage, he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. I find it fascinating. The Greek term behind the word transfiguration in English is metamorphose. Morphe means form in Greek, meta, beyond, right? Metamorphosis to go beyond the form that he had. So the metamorphosis of a caterpillar comes to mind, right? This ordinary Jesus, and there's no indication they ever lost sight of of who he is. It wasn't a, a, a complete change. It was a metamorphosis. Somehow this Jesus became transformed, elevated, enhanced in his manner of being. Again, you know, at the risk of, of um, expressing it too crudely, but the caterpillar that becomes the monarch butterfly, this thing of extraordinary delicacy and beauty, but coming from a, a literally grubbier uh, source. The first thing we notice now in the account of the transfiguration is that the appearance of Jesus becomes more beautiful. One of the classical features of beauty is claritas, or radiance. So the Aquinas says that the beautiful uh, occurs at the intersection of harmony, integritas, or wholeness, rather, and then harmony, uh, concordia, and finally claritas, radiance. So we hear that his face shone, his clothes became white as light, these somewhat grubby bodies of ours, whose whose beauty lasts, let's face it, for a fleeting moment, are destined for a transfigured and elevated beauty, a radiance in the heavenly realm. Secondly, in his transfigured state, Jesus transcends space and time. Why? Well, we see him 
talking with Moses and Elijah, figures from the distant past. So in this world, in our ordinary experience, we're caught in one moment of space and time. I'm here, I can't be there. I'm at this time, I can't be at some other time. But in heaven, we will live in the eternal now of God's life, which means outside of space, outside of time, transcending these two dimensions. A conversation with Moses and Elijah, well, why not? In the transfigured, elevated condition of heaven. Here's the thing, everybody, as, as we meditate on this event, you ever notice that even as we savor this life and appreciate all that's great and wonderful about it, we never feel entirely at home. There is, and I find as I get older, this is just truer and truer, there's a permanent restlessness about human life. And as C.S. Lewis noted, it comes to its fullest expression, not at the worst time. So you think, oh, things are so, so lousy, I wish I were somewhere else. No, at the best times of life, at, at our most successful, our most joyful, our most accomplished, that we have that nagging sense of, but there's got to be something more. I was thinking here of Teresa of Avila, the great mystic, who said, let's face it, this life is like a bad night in a bad hotel. <laughs> you, know, so you spend time in a hotel. I, I spend a lot of time in, in hotels as I travel, and you know some are better than others. And think of just a lousy hotel, and you spend kind of a bad night. In other words, it's not where you're meant to be. The hotel is not your home. It's this place you're passing through. So weirdly, weirdly, this whole life properly can seem like a bad night in a bad hotel. This is not where we're meant to be. Now, this is not to fall into dualism or Manichaeism. It's not to be down on the world and all that. But it is indeed to insist that a higher, richer, more beautiful, and spiritually fulfilling life awaits us. We're like caterpillars who are awaiting the moment to become monarch butterflies. Again, please don't read me in a dualistic way here, like, oh, I can't wait to get out of this awful world. It's not that. It's this sense of longing. There's something more. Transfiguration is being held out to me. Now, I've been sort of hinting at this a little bit, but what holds sway, I think, almost universally today in religious circles is what I would characterize, I'll put my philosopher's hat on for a second again, as a neo-Kantianism, by which I mean the reduction of religion to morality. Immanuel Kant, hence Kantianism. Immanuel Kant famously opined in the 18th century that all the other dimensions of religion, from liturgy and art, sacraments, mysticism, etc., are all properly reducible to ethics. The entire point of religion is to make us ethically upright. Now, without gainsaying for a second the importance of ethics, so don't get me wrong, I'm all for ethics, but let me suggest that this is a terrible reductionism and that the transfiguration tells against it. 
we're not meant to be simply nice people. We're meant to be sons and daughters of God. We're meant to be citizens of heaven. We're meant for an elevated, transfigured life. Now look just at a couple things. Look at the liturgy under this rubric. Now, I mean, I do indeed hope the Mass will conduce to more correct ethical behavior. I hope people become nicer, you know, more generous people after Mass. But the Mass is meant at its heart to bring us even now into harmony with the life of heaven. Think of something as simple as the line, may our voices be one with theirs, right, as, as they sing holy, holy, holy. Well, who, who are we talking about here but the angels? May our singing at the Mass now join harmonically with the singing of the angels. The Eucharist that we receive at Mass is meant not to make us just people with hearts of gold. It's meant to Christify us. How important, everybody, that we don't just hear ethical recommendations from Jesus at Mass. We eat his body and drink his blood at Mass. Of course, all the sacraments have this deifying purpose. Baptism introduces the divine life into us. Confession restores it when it's lost through sin. Confirmation strengthens it. Matrimony, holy orders give it vocational direction. Anointing of the sick prepares us for the transition to our heavenly homeland. All the sacraments are about the divine life. Prayer, finally, I hope, makes us better people, sure. But its primary purpose is to unite us even now to the heavenly realm, to make us conversant with the angels and the saints. In fact, Everything in the Christian religion, listen, including our ethical behavior, is meant finally to foster our transfiguration. And so, you know, at the end of the day, old Godfrey Diekman was right. Finally, what it comes down to is deification. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.